Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 252nd episode of the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. It still amazes me when I say over 200. I can't even believe that, but happy to have everybody today. Happy to be here. And today I'm actually going to talk about a topic that has gotten a lot of airplay lately. And I've talked about it on different platforms, but I wanted to bring it to the CodeCast podcast because it's something that is urgent actually. And you really need to make sure that you're following the rules because you could end up with some severe penalties if you aren't following the rules. And there's also some confusion about it. So there is something called the HIPAA right of access. And you may have heard it also called the 21st Century Cures Act, C-U-R-E-S. And what this is, is it talks about information blocking. So patients have a right to their information and their medical records. And so let's just chat about that for a minute so you can understand what's been going on, what's, um, you know, kind of been published out there and that you're doing things correctly. And also, if you're in a management position, you are checking up on your medical records staff, your front office staff, even your billing staff, and asking them how they are handling information requests, because there are some things happening right now and a lot of um, enforcements being done that I don't want you to get caught uh, in the middle of that. So here is what was recently published by the HIPAA Journal, and that's HIPAA with two A's, So the Department of Health and Human Services and the Office for Civil Rights, and that's actually um, a department in the HHS, they actually sent out a pretty stern warning to healthcare providers about the importance of having a compliance plan and being compliant with what they call the HIPAA right of access. And that was something that was um, brought forward a couple of years ago in addition to the Cures Act um, that came out in 2020 to make sure that patients... Um, had timely access to their medical records from anybody that is considered a HIPAA HIPAA entity, which would be a hospital, physician's practice, um, you know, anybody who has what they call EPHI, and that is electronic patient uh, health information. So actually it's um, private health information. And so we want to make sure you're understanding that this HIPAA right of access gives people the right to inspect their protected health information that is held by, again, that covered entity. And it allows patients to check for information um, for errors and request that any errors are corrected. That's also another thing. And people um, can also request a copy of their um, PHI, again, protected health information from health plans. So they're also a, HIP, uh, a HIPAA entity. Remember, anybody who can, who houses electronic um, protected health information is considered to be a, a HIPAA entity. And when this request is made, so what are the rules? The requested information must be provided in full, whatever they request, within 30 days of the request being received. Now, there's some limited circumstances uh, where they do allow a 30-day extension, but this is when there is potential harmful information from a behavioral mental health situation or from a disease like AIDS that isn't something that um, the physician actually is allowed to uh, disclose unless they have a specific face-to-face with the patient. 
Requests can be submitted by patients or what they call their nominated representatives. So somebody that they have said you can give them their records and it's signed off on and they understand the the protections under that. Also, parents and legal guardians of minors, they're permitted to obtain a copy of their minors' records. But make sure that when your um, child has gone into the physician's office, the pediatrician's office, or primary care, internal medicine, family practice, that you've signed something right in that first visit that you've gone with uh, your child, because obviously they can't treat your child without your uh, consent, and make sure that uh, you've signed something that says that uh, you can get that release. And then any individual requesting a copy of their records, you can only charge them what they call a reasonable cost-based fee for obtaining a copy of their records. So you can't make money on it. It's it's not a profit center. It's basically whatever it costs you in time, paper, you know, drive, whatever it is you're downloading to, whether it's an app, uh, whatever format you're giving that patient their records, then whatever it costs you, then you can transfer that cost to them. Again, it has to be reasonable. Now, here's the other kicker on this, and I think this is what a lot of doctor's offices miss, and I'm now noticing hospitals are definitely not understanding this, and this also applies to dentist's office. The records should be provided, and it's in the format requested by the patient, provided the HIPAA-covered entity has the technical capability to provide records in that format. So there's something called Doxy, where patients can get a download of their records uh, through their uh, smartphone. And if you have that capability and you, you know, buy into that or use that application or that format, then that's how that patient can get their information. Now, what if you have a password-protected portal for the patient in your EMR? Well, can the patients use that? Of course, and obviously we limit what they can see but because you're allowed to do that within your EMR. But the one thing that you have to be careful of is if the patient didn't request it that way, but that's how you want to deliver it, you have to make sure you have something in writing that says the patient agreed to accept it that way. And that somebody on the phone didn't just say, um, you know what, you can go into your portal and just use your password and you're good to go and hang up on them because then they could complain to the OCR again Office of Civil Rights and you could be fined for not following the rules. You'd want to have somebody in medical records if you have um, some kind of a facilitator in your office if you're a big practice or somebody who understands you know how things work on your portal and how to get into it walk the patient through the process so they can see what they can see and and if that's what they're requesting. Because again, you don't have to give them everything, just what they're requesting. And if they say, I want all my records, they have to be specific. Now, OCR launched this HIPAA Right of Access Enforcement Initiative. This was launched in the fall of 2019 because of widespread noncompliance with this important HIPAA right. And the the problem we're seeing is that it seems like it takes a federal investigation before a HIPAA-covered entity um, actually provides patients or their personal representatives access to their medical records. And that, that shouldn't be the case. You know, there's now about 38 uh, enforcement actions in the right of access initiative and that they're really holding up the law and people's fundamental right to timely access to their medical records. So it's not 38 uh, episodes of it, 38 actions. And so there's different things that they will penalize you for. And it's really a monetary thing as well. So the latest penalties were 
all imposed, and this is 16 and 2022, for the failure to provide timely access to an individual's medical records rather than overcharging. So it wasn't it wasn't for charging unreasonable fees because everybody seems to have figured, you know, that um that thing out that that enforcement action out but they are starting to say well guess what you still owe a balance in our office so we're not going to give your medical records no 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 so how how you have to understand with how this works is that you have to it that one doesn't have to do with the other so if let's say that you are a practice let's say you're orthopedic and you give out orthotics in your office and the patient um, at, or you ordered one for the patient, obviously it was approved, um, and but their insurance company didn't pay or the patient didn't pay their out-of-pocket. Do you have to give them the orthotics? No, but do you have to give them the prescription for it so that they could possibly get it somewhere else or also help to fight the claim where it wasn't reimbursed? Yes. So the medical record is about the prescription, the um, the write-up on the patient, the workup on the patient, anything that re- involves what that patient's um, medical action was. So, you know, their E&M services, their prescriptions, their orders, their lab tests, their pathology results, their x-ray tests, their op reports, things like that. And what patients need from that perspective to be able to see um, their records. Now, if there is an outstanding balance, you can't hold back giving them their records. If they owe you for tangible items like orthotics and things like that, then you can hold that back, but again, not the order for that particular service. So here is an example. There was one HIPAA-covered entity, that, and this was actually on the OCR's website. And by the way, if you're in violation, they post your name and practice and your penalty on their website. So here's a civil monetary penalty. This is a particular one, and it was called ACPM Podiatry. And they'd receive a request from a former patient for a copy of his medical records. And then OCR was notified uh, on April 8th of 2019 that they refused to provide those records. OCR provided them technical assistance to this podiatry practice uh, 10 days later, confirming that the records must be provided under HIPAA and the the investigation was closed and the patient got a letter saying, you're going to get this. Well, then a second complaint was filed with OCR a month later that the records had still not been provided. So then the OCR's investigation revealed that the records had been withheld because the complainant's insurance company had not paid the bill but the patient had said that the records were required in order to appeal the unfavorable decision and that the the records were necessary to file that appeal. And that wasn't something the podiatry office was willing to do. And so also the podiatry office failed to respond to OCR's data request because they try to, you know, supersede that. Um, They also sent them a notice of proposed determination of a financial penalty. They ignored that. They also ignored the letter of opportunity to provide evidence. Maybe there was mitigating factors other than the patient owing a bill. And so their monetary penalty was $100,000. And they had to release it right away or they were going to get a penalty of $5,000 a day that they didn't. 
And so you, you have to really understand that it's not a choice if the patient requests it, you have to give it. Some other penalties, and this is just from their website, Memorial Hermann Health System in Texas, a $240,000 penalty. That was a settlement. The other one was a civil monetary penalty. Um, there was an surgical associates in Texas. They were 65. And I'll just give a couple more because some doctors are saying, well, I'm not going to be the one that's going to get 100000 There was a Dr. Lawrence Bell Jr. in uh, Maryland that was a dentist. And that was a $5,000 penalty, failure to provide records for more than three months. Um, Danbury Psychiatric Consultants in Massachusetts, 3500 because they withheld records for six months and the, because the patient had an outstanding medical bill. And so you, you have to be very, very cautious about this. In Erie, Pennsylvania, a Medical Corporation Center, um, actually it was also tied to a New York office as well. They got a $50,000 settlement, failure to provide the requested records to a patient's nominated representative that was in the chart and authorized to get that information. So the Office of Civil Rights has now imposed 122 financial pen- penalties since um, entities for entities that uh, to resolve this since ni- uh, 2008. But the last batch since this was uh, the HIPAA right to their information was actually enforced in 2019. Now they're up to six, uh, what did it say? 16. And then um, that's all from 2022 as well. So just be aware that it's just not optional. And I think a lot of people think this is optional. This is actually a mandate. And so you don't want to be caught uh, under this mandate where you're not fulfilling that request for a patient. Also, just of note, something came up as of August 2nd, and it's also talking about the um, the electronic health information. They're trying to make sure that they have a specific definition of that and also what they call a designated record set. And they're, they're looking for AHIMA and the American Medic, uh, Medical Informa- Informatics Association, along with uh, HIPAA, they're looking to make sure that um, under the Cures Final Cures Act final rule, that they understand what that particular definition is, and that the it includes interoperability requirements uh, related to information blocking and health IT certification. Because it, again, it's about housing these electronic. Uh, medical records or electronic health information. October 6th is the deadline. You have to, when anyone who is considered a HIPAA entity, they have to have their full scope of what that um, electronic health information is. And then in December by next year, 2023, there's going to be a certification period to, and what the export criterion is to process what um, that from that storage area is. So there's a task force on this and um, just keep, you know, just keep reading about it because it definitely is a really big deal. And then the more I read about it, the more I'm just like, oh my goodness, it's crazy. So I wanted to kind of move on to something else because I'm getting a lot of questions. So you know that we've had the the CAA, which is the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2022, that says we have 151 days after the public health emergency ends that we will be able to still do telehealth. Well, there was a new House bill that came up, of course, and basically it's talking about um, when 
are talking about this extension. It just seems like everybody wants to get in on the act. So now there's another, it was just passed by the House. And so they, they want to extend the telehealth guidelines to December 2024. And it's not permanent. It's just to extend um, so that they can figure out, you know, what is going to be made permanent. But that's, I mean, that's two and a half years. And so now I'm getting questions from providers saying, well, do I still have to put do I still have to do a consent? Do I still have to have a provider location and patient location and start and stop times? All those things that are part of a telehealth compliant visit. And do you also have to know the audio only or audio video? Yes, you still have to do that because we're under a PHE. Now, will that House bill pass in the Senate because we're still waiting for that? It probably will because it had such overwhelming passage in the House. But for right now, you still are under a public health emergency. So make sure that, you know, when you hear something and it's HR 4040, it's been sent to the Senate. And just because we're coming up with some midterms and a lot of political activity right now, and this is a hot button for politics, um, that that probably will be passed. But who's excited about this? American Telehealth Association, um, American Medical Association, you know, people that have kind of a stake in telehealth and, and it's not really addressing what we need for patients as far as a compliant visit. Um, how does this work if you're going to continue to pay for, you know, an E&M service, but you have stricter rules for in-person when it comes to documentation than you do for um, the the telehealth. I mean, if you can't do an exam, then the only thing that you need to, you know, make sure you have is just an appropriate history. And so this is where the expansion really has to address these things. And I'm, I'm having a really hard time with this. I saw something that I thought was outstanding, though. I saw this on LinkedIn. And if you get a chance, you know, follow me on LinkedIn and read some of the articles I post because I think they're very timely and they come from authoritative resources. I would never post anything that um, you can't check out and make sure that um, it's really good. But it's something I just thought it was great. So there's a place called Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center. And what they're doing is they're expanding access to cancer screenings and preventative care. And how they're doing it is they are doing mobile um basically a mobile medical unit. So it looks like a a big RV and they're going to many rural communities that don't have access to basic healthcare services. And they're also, it's, it's for those patients that can't travel, that need cancer services, you know, that it just lessens the burden to them to get out and think about it. Wouldn't this be great if the government and the Congress put funding into something like that instead of trying to take away our in-person visits and make everything digital. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. I'd love to hear from you and how you feel about that. But for me, they're trying to make everything so impersonal, so digital, so, you know, just based on electronic and between our cell phones and our iPads and our TVs. And let's face it, all of the social media we're on it's we're losing that personal touch. And I'm getting really tired of people trying to discount or minimize the importance of an in person visit. And if you can bring that in person visit to patients who don't have strong internet, the one thing I haven't even seen in all this congressional information to extend telehealth is putting money into 
better internet to stronger you know broadband to making sure we have equitable access for patients who are in those rural areas or 100 miles away they're not doing that so again you're going to have telehealth services it's only for the rich people only for people who have you know good internet and only for people who are in areas that can support that kind of digital platform so for me when i started seeing what they're doing here i love this i think that having a mobile unit is a great idea and the only logistics we'd have to figure out is place of service and is it tied to a physician's office that also has it should be that also has an in-person office and then they can send out either their nurse practitioners or PAs or physicians that want to get out of the office and you know meet the the community and and really you know embrace something like this so I really hope this catches on but so impressed with uh, Louisiana who started this and I just think it's a great idea. So we've done mobile, you know, blood units for blood drives and things. Why hasn't this been thought of before? I think this is such a great idea. So hopefully that will catch on. The CodeCast podcast today is brought to you by Vista Create. Download the app now for featured templates, Instagram story, video stories, Instagram stories, Facebook covers, video full Pinterest graphics, any kind of graphics you want to make for your social media, Vista Create. So everyone, my personal tidbit, I'm glad most of you had a sense of humor last week. I got a lot of funny uh, direct messages, but it was it was just something I was ranting about. But one of the things I just wanted to remind you of is that we all have friends and acquaintances and you know people that we're really engaged with out there. And then there's people that we have forgotten to either text or call or remember or just spend time with. And you know what? You need to reach out. Reach out. I've been doing that, really making an effort. And it's so nice when people are like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard from you in so long. I feel terrible. But let's not feel terrible about that. Let's really reach out to people because so many people are working virtual and everyone is missing the contact still. Even if you are traveling, if you're getting out, if you've basically, you know, you're done with COVID. It and you're basically back to normal. Great for your situation. Not everybody's there. And so it's just so important to, to reach out to people you haven't talked to in a long time. Even schedule a Zoom call if you have to do it virtually. But I'm sure somebody out there would be really happy to hear from you. So and also if you're annoyed with anybody, and I'm just thinking of somebody in particular, try to reach out to them and just say, hey, how are you doing? That way they aren't sitting there thinking, I wonder if they're still annoyed with me. I tend to hold on to things as well. So try to try to maybe, you know, be the one to step up. I've tried to do that as well. So everyone make it a great day and a great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music.